Matthew chapter 27. Today we are going to continue in the series we started a couple of weeks ago entitled Words Matter. And the idea that the words of Jesus are things that we need to study, that we need to grab a hold of to understand if we're going to live our lives according to the principles that God has for us. Now today what we're going to do is we're not going to look at one specific passage. As I told you a moment ago, we're actually going to go from Matthew and then over to Mark, then over to Luke, and then over to John. We're going to find in four different situations, four different uh, instances, things that Jesus said that all took place in a very short, compact amount of time where we can find truth that will change our lives. And I just want to make sure that we all understand that we're kind of getting where we are and like what we're going to be talking about to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page here. That what we're going to talk about today is the only thing that can guarantee the promise and the hope of eternity. Today we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about the good news, the gift of Jesus Christ, and what he did when he came to this earth and how it can revolutionize your life. And so if you're here today and you've been a Christian for a very long time, I've been a Christian, I'm 52 years old, I've been a Christian for 46 years. I look at Elmer Towns over here, he's been a Christian probably for 146 years. I'm not sure how long that might be. Regardless of how long you've been a Christian, regardless of when it was that you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know, if you're here today and that's your story, do not like turn your ears off and and daydream, because what we're going to talk about today is still transformational. It will still change you today as it did many, many years ago. If you're here today and you've only been a Christian for a very short amount of time, oh, man, I want you to tune in. I want you to listen carefully. I want you to dial into what we're talking about because Jesus gives us a glimpse, a picture in these moments that we're going to share today that that I promise you will encourage you in your faith like you can never understand. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, oh, I really want you to pay attention. Because today what I'm going to share with you is a message that maybe you've never heard before, but it's a message that will be the only message that will give you the kind of hope, the kind of encouragement, the kind of promise that no one on this earth can give you. But I'm telling you, what you're going to hear today is something that if you will listen and pay attention, I promise you that it will change everything for you. And so let's jump in. Four different situations, four different moments, four different words, four different statements that Jesus made that can transform our lives. But it's interesting because we're going to start not with what Jesus said. We're going to start with what Jesus didn't say. We're going to start with an important statement that Jesus was silenced. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 27. It says, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and he And they called out the entire regiment. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick, and they struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe, and they put his own clothes on him again, and then they led him away to be crucified." Now, the reason we're starting right here, obviously this is a situation that took place in the Antonia Fortress. You can still visit that very spot today. You can walk down onto the pavement stones. You can find uh, in those stones the games that were carved over 2,000 years ago as those soldiers gathered there where they would prepare prisoners for their execution, where they would beat 
those who were caught in theft and whatever it might be, and that they would take them there, and you can see where the regiment, where the soldiers were on those very stones. I've been to that place, and I've stood in that place. I've, I've knelt down on those stones. Thinking about it from the first perspective, it's a pretty cool tourist spot to go and to see something that's 2,000 years ago and, and etchings in the stone that were 2,000 years old. But then when you get beyond the, the tourism factor and you start to recognize that you were standing in the spot where what we just read about took place, it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart because you recognize that it was in that spot that Jesus was brought and the soldiers all came. And you can imagine, man, they were ready for this prisoner. They were excited to do something to this prisoner. You know why? Because this was the prisoner who said that he was the king. And they knew he wasn't their king. He knew that they knew that there was another king and they, they thought this guy's nuts. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. They were going to have a good time here. And so they began mocking him, and they began treating him badly. They began uh, beating him with that stick that we talked about in this passage. They took that crown of thorns that they, they put together, and they pressed it down into his skull. And you can imagine the pain, the, the thorns that were like this long, pressed down into his flesh, and the blood that began to pour down his cheeks and began to spill out onto those paving stones. And when you stand on those stones, you recognize this, this, this is the place that Jesus went through, that for me. Now, let's be honest. Today, this series is entitled Words Matter. Words matter. And as we read this passage from Matthew chapter 27, the one thing that is lacking in this passage, and we didn't see in this passage, is that Jesus didn't say a word, did he? But we have to recognize this, is that with Jesus not saying a word, it actually spoke volumes. What Jesus didn't say in that moment is actually more encouraging, more powerful, more impactful than anything that he could have said. Because again, let's look at this. Jesus is the Son of God, right? You believe that, right? He's the Son of God. The Bible says that, that, that the Word put on flesh, He became flesh, that, that He, God Himself, became flesh. And so we know that that's who Jesus was. He is God. And so Jesus, when He was standing in that Antonia fortress, as he had his hands bound behind him, as they began mocking him and spitting on him and beating him with that reed, as they pressed that crown of thorns into his flesh, here's what Jesus could have done. He could have spoken a word and made them all drop dead instantly. Jesus could have spoken a word and thousands of angels could have descended into that spot and it could have been like a, an all-out war, a battle that would have ended in about a half a second because the angels would have won hands down. Jesus could have spoke the word, stop. And even though they did not believe in his power, you know what those, those soldiers would have done? They would have stopped instantly because when the God of the universe speaks, even those who don't believe have to respond. You see, Jesus could have said a lot of things. He, he could have spoken a lot of words. He could have made a, a major, powerful statement at that moment to stop what was taking place. But here's the important thing that we've got to get today. He did not. Jesus remained silent. He remained silent because he knew that he wasn't there for himself. He was there for us. Jesus was experiencing all of that, not because of anything that he'd done. He was experiencing that for what you and I have done, 
for that sin that you committed a couple of days ago that, that you think nobody even knows about. That, that, that thing that you did in private where, where you think it didn't hurt anybody and, and nobody even knows it and, and there's no way that anybody could ever find out. Jesus went through that for that sin. And so the most important word that we can get out of Matthew chapter 27 of how words really matter are the lack of words in this moment. Because Jesus was silenced, and he wasn't silenced by the guards. Make no mistake, Jesus stood there willingly. Again, he could have done whatever he wanted. He could have stopped it in a moment. He was not silenced by the guards, the soldiers. He was silenced by his desire to take care of us. Matthew chapter 27, a powerful statement of what Jesus went through, and he went through all of that for us. Second word, the word shunned. Flip over, if you would, Mark chapter 15. It's just a few verses over, a few chapters over from where we were there in Matthew chapter 27. In Mark chapter 15, verse 33, let me set the stage. Jesus had been in the Antonia Fortress. He'd been mocked. He'd been beaten. He had that crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He'd been led away from there and made to carry his own cross. When he buckled under the weight of that cross, we know they took the cross and put it on Simon, and they made their way to Golgotha. They made their way to Calvary, to the place where he would be crucified. Now they got to this place. He'd already been nailed to the cross, and he gets to this place. Then they, they took that cross, and they lifted it up and placed it in the ground, and now Jesus was hanging. He was hanging by the nails in his wrist, hanging by the nails in his feet, trying his best, gasping for breath, because while he was 100% God, he was also 100% man, which means that he was struggling for breath just like you and I would have been if we would have been hanging on that cross. And so that's the stage, that's the, the context. We read this next passage in Mark chapter uh, 15, verse 33. At noon, it says, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, and he said these words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned me? Think about those words for a moment. Think about what it is that, that Jesus said. Jesus was the Son of God. We've already talked about that. We've established the fact of His deity, that He was God. And yet here He is hanging on the cross, and His words are, God, why did you turn your back on me? God, why did you forsake me? God, why did you abandon me? Now think about that. How is that possible that the God of the universe could abandon Himself? How is it that God himself could actually turn his back on Jesus, the Son of God? And here's the reason. Here's the thing that we get from this passage. Here's why Jesus uttered those words, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me? Here's why. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was hanging on the cross, and God took all of the sins of mankind, and he put them on Jesus. And you know what cannot be present in the presence of God? Sin. Sin cannot be present in the presence of God. And so when Jesus was the Son of God, when God placed all the sins, your sins and my sins, upon the back of Jesus and nailed Him to the cross, and then Jesus uttered those words, why have you turned your back on me? The reason is this, is because for that moment, Jesus was experiencing the separation from God that you and I deserve. See, every person that's in this room, here's what we deserve. We deserve to never be in the presence of God. 
Think about that for a moment. You're sitting here in this church. We're worshiping together. We've been lifting our voices together, been led by this entire incredible worship team from the School of Music at Liberty. I mean, blessing us today. And the words that we've been singing are words that have been with our hearts. Man, we are just singing it out loud, passionately. Thank you, God. We love you, God. Great is the faithfulness of God. But here's one thing you've got to understand. We have no right to even be in the presence of God. We have no right to even utter the name of God. We don't have any right to even be in a place where, where we can call God our Father. We do not deserve that. Why? Because I said it a moment ago. Where sin exists, you can't be in the presence of God. And so because we're all born with a sinful nature, because we live in sin, because of the things that we do, we deserve to be forever separated from God. We do not deserve to be in a place where God is. And so God, knowing that, here's what He did. He took your sins and He took my sins. He took everything that you've ever done and everything that you've ever done and everything that you've ever done. He took all of that. And you know what He did? He put it on Jesus' back. He nailed Jesus to the cross. And for that moment, in that moment in time, Jesus became separated from Himself, separated from God the Father, because He was taking upon Himself what you and I deserve. Man, I'm so grateful that He did. Because here's the amazing thing. If those soldiers would have taken you and me and would have taken us to that cross and nailed us to that cross to pay for our sins, if we would have been the ones that were hanging on that cross to pay for the sins that we've committed so that we would have the right then to be able to be in the presence of God, here's what would happen. We would have hung on that cross, we would have bled, we would have suffered, and we would have died, and it would have been over. Because there's nothing that you and I could ever do. There's no action that we could ever take. There's no moment that we could ever experience. There are no words that we could ever say. No, not enough songs that we could ever sing. Not enough verses that we could ever memorize. There's nothing that we could ever do to get over the fact that we do not deserve to be in the presence of God because of our sins. And so Jesus, when he said, my God, why have you abandoned me? God abandoned Jesus for that moment. Because Jesus was taking the punishment of separation from God that we deserve. Do you see, see why that word is so important, that phrase, that statement that Jesus made is so important? Jesus was shunned and not by the people. He was shunned by God. What an amazing thought. What an amazing moment. But what brings us to the next thing, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 23. Because in Luke chapter 23, we see that what started with silence what then became Jesus being shunned by God, now moved into another word, and this is the word secure. Look what it says in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 40. It says, but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he, the criminal, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, you know the story. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's hanging there. He's dying. And on either side of him, you know what was there, right? Two other criminals that were sitting there, one on either side. You know the story. They crucified three at one time. One on one side mocked Jesus, said, if you really are the king of the Jews, why don't you say the word and get us all off these crosses? Why don't you get us all down off this cross? The other criminal that was hanging there, he said, man, shut up. That's really what he said. He said, seriously, shut up, dude. Don't you know who this guy is? 
Don't you even fear him? I mean, he is hanging here. And listen, we're hanging here because we did it. We're guilty. But he's hanging here, and he does not deserve to die because he has not done anything wrong. And then he looks to Jesus and says, Jesus, please remember me. And I love the words of Jesus in this moment because here's what Jesus said, I assure you, I promise you, I guarantee you, you can count on it. You can take it to the bank, come up with whatever phrase, whatever wording, whatever uh, idea, whatever content that you want to put into that statement. Jesus said this with security, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, I love the fact that Jesus hanging on the cross, when a person cries out in their sin, and cries out in loss, cries out knowing that they are moments from death and they have no hope whatsoever, and they recognize that Jesus is the only hope for the world. And they say, Jesus, today, please remember me. I love the fact that Jesus didn't say, well, first you got to go join a Baptist church. I love the fact that Jesus said, well, first of all, you got to get into counseling. Well, first you've got to run down the Lifeway and buy a Bible. They're on sale. Go down and get a special deal in a Bible and read some verses before I'll talk to you. I'm so glad he didn't say in the first, okay, listen, go enroll at Liberty University and you've got to get two semesters of, of evangelism and Christian worldview under your belt and then we'll talk. I'm so grateful that the only words that Jesus had to say were this, I guarantee you because you believe today you'll be with me in heaven. Let me just tell you why that's so important. Because every person that is seated in this room, and I don't care who you are, I don't care how smart you are, I look out here, I see college professors that are sitting here. I look over here and I see Elmer Towns who's got more degrees than, than a thermometer. <laughs> He's written more book, books than any of us will ever read. I, I realize that, that I'm sitting here and I'm looking across this room and there are some really smart people here. There are some really successful people here. There are some really rich people here. There are some, some not-so-rich people here. There are, I mean, there's people from all walks of life here. And here's what I want you to know. No matter who you are and no matter what you have done, no matter how good you've been, no matter how smart you are, no matter how many degrees you have or how many books that you've written, not one of us could ever be good enough or do enough to get to the place where we could say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. Because we are all lost in our sin. We have no hope whatsoever. Every single one of us have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And there is nothing that you can do about it. But Jesus said, because you believed, today I guarantee you, you'll be with me in heaven. Does that, come on, does that make you happy today? That that's the Jesus that we're talking about? You see, he was silent when he could have spoken and stopped this whole thing. He could have stopped this execution. He could have said the words, and, and instantly there would have been no cross. There would have been no crown of thorns. There would have been no uh, spear thrust into his side. He, no one would have spit on him. And I'm just telling you something, you spit on me, I'm going to say some words. I mean, he could have said whatever he needed to say to stop it, and he didn't. He was silent in the moment. He actually cried out to God as Father, why have you turned your back on me and put on me their sins? Why are you separating yourself from me? And then here, he says, listen, you don't deserve to be in my presence. You don't deserve heaven. Even that man recognized, man, I deserve what I'm getting. I am about to take my last breath. 
and I deserve it for what I've done. And Jesus' words were not words of condemnation. They weren't words of criticism. They weren't words to put that man down. They weren't words to say, you're not good enough. You, you can't get there. You've messed up too much. All hope is lost. The first words out of Christ's mouth, man, I guarantee you, <laughs> I assure you, today, salvation is yours. The power of the words of Jesus. Silence. He was shunned, secure. But what did that security bring? Here's what that security brought. That security brought the next word. Flip over, if you would, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 brought the last word, and this word is the most important word, and it's the word salvation. It's the word salvation, because in John chapter 19, verse 30, as Jesus was hanging on that cross, as the blood was pouring down his body, as he was getting weaker and weaker and weaker, as he was not able to lift himself up to gasp for even one more ounce of air, air, as he could not get himself to the place where he could gasp for one more breath, in the seconds before his life was to leave his body, the words that he spoke then were these, it is finished. And listen, make no mistake about it. Jesus wasn't talking about his life. He didn't make that statement, it's finished, talking about the fact that his heart was about to stop beating. He didn't say it is finished because he was about to take his last breath and his lungs would not work anymore. He wasn't saying it is finished by saying this journey, this 33 years that I've spent on this earth, man, it's been a good ride. I've had some good times. I've healed some people. It's been pretty cool. Remember when I brought Lazarus out of that tomb, man, that was, can you see their faces when that happened? When Lazarus walked out, yeah, he smelled, but boy, he was alive. I mean, uh, he had a good ride. No, that's not what he was talking about. When Jesus uttered the words, it is finished, here's what he was making the statement of. Here's what he was talking about. Here's what he was referring to. It is finished, the condemnation of mankind. The fact that we did not deserve to be in the presence of God because of our sins, and Jesus said, that, friends, is over. That doesn't exist anymore. That payment has been made. It has been paid in full. He stamped and paid. It was done. It was over. And at that moment, Jesus made these words, because of what I am about to do, it, that, that separation, that condemnation, that, that lack of forgiveness, that lack of hope, it is finished. And salvation was given. Words do matter. And the words that we see in the story of Jesus are words that, that should blow our minds. Now listen, we could go back and we could go through all the red letters in our Bibles. We could spend our time studying verse after verse and word after word and phrase after phrase and encouragement after encouragement. We could go Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We could spend months in the Sermon on the Mount. All of it would be valuable. All of it would be good. All of it is important things that we need to know, that we need to understand as we live our lives. But there is nothing more important than when Jesus said, it is finished, done, paid for, all good. That's what Jesus said. Now, 
here's what we've got to recognize about all these statements. Here's what we've got to grab from all of these ideas, these concepts, these things that we've talked about here today. They all kind of funnel down into one very important thought, okay? And so this is what I want you to understand before we leave here today. I want everyone in this room to grab a hold of what I'm about to say, because I know you're not going to remember everything that I just said. You'll remember some of it, but you're not going to remember all of it, but, but this you can remember, okay? This is something you can grab a hold of. And here's what, it all kind of funnels down into one very important thought, one very important word. It's a four-letter word, but it's a good four-letter word, and it's this, love. Everything that we've talked about today centers around, flows from, is a picture of, is the definition of a four-letter word that starts with an L and ends with an E, with an O and a V in the middle, love. God's love for us is unbelievable. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Why? Because He loves us more than we could ever deserve. Because He loves us more than we could ever earn. Because He loves us more than we could ever expect. So what should our response to that love be? Let's be honest. I've been married for 26 years. Been married 27 in September. Um, And I think it's pretty cool that Sherry loves me. Uh, I think it's pretty cool back when we were dating and I asked her out on a date, and we began dating. I thought that was pretty cool, because she said yes, that was cool. Um, when we began, like, spending more and more time together, and we were kind of falling in love, I thought it was pretty cool when we came to that first day when, when Sherry actually, you know, uttered those words, I love you, back. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. We've been married now for all these years, and, and she still loves me. It's pretty cool. I've got four kids, and, and I think back to the moments that all of them were born, and, and, and that picture of bringing them home from the hospital, and as they grew up and got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and they started talking, and, and what was really cool is all four of them, their first words were dada, which is like awesome, right? Very cool. I remember the first time that those four children uttered the words to me, I love you. That was pretty awesome. I mean, it's pretty amazing to think that that little that little kid that you have created, that they actually just instinctively know that you're there to take care of them, and the words, I love you, which, man, it's awesome. Now, here's the response to that. The fact that my wife loves me and my kids love me, here's what it drives me to do. It drives me to do better. It drives me to be a better person. It drives me to serve. It drives me to love them even more. Because when I know that they love me, when I know that they depend on me, when I know that they desire to be with me, it makes me want to be a better person and do a better job of who I am. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to love them more. My goal is to love them more than they could ever love me. Now, what should our response be to the love that Jesus has shown to us? Here's what it ought to be. It ought to be a factor that drives us to serve Him more, to follow Him more, to obey Him more, to be more like Him, and to love Him more and more every single day. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, I think that a lot of Christians... We have forgotten the power of salvation. We believe it. We accept it. We are bound by it. 
We are encouraged by it. We walk through our lives knowing that we've got that security because of it. But here's what I think sometimes we've lost. We've lost the desire to be made better by it. The love of Jesus should drive us to be more like him. You will never love him more than he loves you. But my friends, every day of your life, the desire ought to be, I want to love him more. And so today, here's what I want you to walk out of here with. On this Palm Sunday, this day when we remember back to when 2,000 years ago, when Jesus entered into the city and everybody was excited, and everybody was thrilled by the fact that this man who had done so much, this, this healer, this, this miracle worker, this, this man who, when he spoke, that everyone was astonished because what he said was like something that they'd never heard before, that this man now had arrived in our city. But within days, they had become so familiar with and so accustomed to and so complacent to the fact that Jesus was in the room that they stopped being amazed at who Jesus is. So today, what we've got to do is we've got to turn that around. What we have to do is we have to begin to live our life again amazed that God actually could love me. That God could actually love you in your sin, in all of your mess-ups and your hang-ups, and all the things that you've done that have dishonored God, which we all have our lists. In all of that, God still said, I promise you, you will be with me in heaven if you believe. So let's walk out of here today and let's just be astonished by the salvation that comes through Christ and Christ alone. And then let's endeavor to do our very best to make sure that we live our lives in response to that great love and to that gift of salvation. So today, let that be your desire. Father, today we are amazed. We don't get it. We really don't. How you could love us so very much, how you could allow your son Jesus to go through all the things that he went through, and the pain that he experienced, the suffering that he went through. God, that, that he did all of that for me. God, I, I don't understand that. I, I really don't. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But God, I'm so grateful so overwhelmingly grateful that you gave anyway. So God, I pray that today our, our hearts and our desire would be this, as we walk into this week leading up to the moment where we remember, reflect, and mark what it is that you did on the cross in this coming week. God, I pray that every single one of us will live our lives responding to your love, wanting to do better. God, I pray that's what we'll do. And God, if there's somebody here today that has never responded in that first way by saying, I believe, that maybe they're like that thief on the cross, that they know they're condemned, they know they have no hope, they know the penalty is just around the corner, but they've never come to the place where we've said, God, today remember me. God, I pray right now that that's what they will do, that their heart will be drawn to you and salvation will be theirs. And God will give you the praise for what you're going to do. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. In a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing together. And as we do, our team is going to gather here at the front. The altar is going to be open. If you've got a prayer request, I want you to come down and write it on these cards. We pray over them every week. 
If you want to come down and kneel here in prayer, maybe praying about that person that God's laid on your heart, maybe praying about a situation that's going on in your family, or maybe a marriage that's in trouble, whatever it might be, altar's open. Maybe you're here today and you want to come down here and you just, man, I want to get right with God. I've not been doing things responding the right way. And maybe you just want to talk with one of our team, man, they'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you want to come and you want to join our church. You want to come and join this family. Maybe you, maybe you want to come and do that. Maybe you're here today, and like we talked about a moment ago, maybe you've never actually said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that He died and that He rose again for me, and I believe that it's only through Christ that we find salvation. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've talked about it. Maybe you've, maybe you've been singing songs about it. But you've never actually said, today, I believe. Man, I encourage you in a moment when we stand to come down to this altar and allow one of our team to talk with you about who Jesus is, what he's done, and let for the first time in your life that you would recognize, that you would hear the words, that security that is found in Jesus, where you'll hear in your heart the God of the universe saying, I assure you, I promise you, I guarantee you, because of your belief, you will be with me for eternity. Let's stand. Let's sing these words together. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with Him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, He gave His only Son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, He rose again. And when He came out of that grave, He gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's Word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We must believe that He died and that He rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, Do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today, I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope, to let the world know God loves. Thank you.